Alright, so we are in Genesis chapter 23, and some really interesting things I want to cover in this chapter. It's kind of a uh, random chapter in a way. We see Sarah dies, which is significant, but then it's pretty much the whole chapter is about Abraham dealing with the sons of Heth, about getting a place to bury Sarah. Now, what, what do you preach from that? Well, there's actually some really important things that we can get from this. So first thing I want to point out, though, before we get into this chapter... Uh, somebody brought this up about chapter 22 last week because we looked at you know Abraham offering his son Isaac. One of the things I didn't mention in there uh, that was brought up is how you know Isaac was probably a grown man and willingly was going to let his father sacrifice him, which kind of reminds us of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? And I wanted to point this out though because um, I've heard, especially like the Ruckmanite types like often speculate and almost say it as fact that Isaac was 33 years old when this happened. Because, you know, Jesus was 33 when he died on the cross. And so Isaac was, because he's a type of Christ, he was 33 years old right here. Now, you cannot dogmatically say that. Okay? But I will say, it's not a bad guess. And it's very possible, because look at here in verse 1. It says So this is right after that story where Abraham offered up Isaac. And it says, and Sarah was a hundred and uh, seven and twenty years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So if Sarah was ninety when Isaac was born, then when this story happens in chapter twenty-three, Isaac would have been thirty-seven. So it's very possible that that happened. He was under thirty-seven when that happened, but how much under we really don't know. It's speculation. So if somebody says thirty-three. It's not a baseless claim. Just don't get dogmatic about stuff like that. Even though that would be really cool. If that were true, you, you can't get dogmatic about stuff like that. But uh, I just wanted to point out that fact that there is some biblical basis for where people come up with an age range. And so that's that's not completely inappropriate. But in verse 2, it says, And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Okay, now this notice this place. Uh, Kirjath Arba, which was called Hebron. Remember, sometimes, we've showed this before, when we're looking at these cities in the book of Genesis, the name that it mentions at the time is not always the name that it had then. So, for example, it refers to it as Kirjath Arba here, which is what it was then, but it also mentions the same as Hebron. Why? Because when these books were written and given out, you know, the name had been changed of these places to Hebron after the children of Israel went in and got that land. I think it's in the book of Joshua. Uh, you can see where it ended up getting that. It was named after one of the children of Israel. So it's saying this because, again, this is written to a certain group of people during a certain time. So they would um, understand where this place is that they're talking about. All right. But uh, Joshua 14, 15, you don't need to turn over there. I just want to point this out about Kirjath Arba. It says, In the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. Okay? So this place was named after a giant where Abraham's at. And what's one thing that all the giants have in common in the Bible? They all were Canaanites, and they were all wicked people. All of them. Okay? So I point this out to say, while we don't know a whole lot about these specific people here, and while this chapter kind of makes them look good, 
I submit to you that these were not good people, that these were actually wicked people. And there's an important lesson that we can get from this that I want to show you. So keep that in mind. So this is, this is a group of people that were Canaanites that came from a, a city named after a giant of the Anakims. And so, but we don't know a whole lot about them. And it says in verse 3, uh, And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, uh, and before we and, uh, turn over to Genesis ten fifteen, okay? Because who are these sons of Heth that he's talking about? Again, we don't know a whole lot about them, but it says in Genesis ten fifteen, and Canaan begat Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. Okay, so these people descend from Heth, and I show this again, showing how all those genealogies in chapter ten, all the genealogies that we see in Genesis. While they look like random facts, they're not. They play a part later on in the scriptures. So back in chapter 10, when it's mentioning these names, like who are these people? Well, make a note of them because they're going to come up later in the book of Genesis. And here we see these people being talked about. And in Genesis 27, verse 46, it says, And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these, which are the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? So notice when Isaac, or um, when Jacob needs a wife, Rebekah saying, do not marry one of the daughters of Heth. Why? Because these women were not good women. She's like, I don't want these kind of women as daughter-in-laws. If I get them for daughter-in-laws, what good will my life be? And you say, that's a really bad attitude. Well, you know what? I'm the same way. I've told my boys, there's certain types of women you don't marry. And, and listen, go ahead and get mad at me. I don't care. All right? We already got a race war going on in the country. But, you know, I've told my boys, and, and don't worry, there's a specific group of women, and it's okay because they're white. I've told my boys, do not marry women like this. Do, and, and I'm talking about a nationality. I'm talking from a place, a specific part of the United States. You do not marry women from this part of the United States. They pretty much all descend from one group, and they're white, so I can say this. But I've told my boys, stay away from women like that. You guys are not allowed to marry those kind of women. Why would you, why do you say that? Cause I don't want them for daughter-in-laws. And I know my boys, McMurtry men, will not mix well with women like that. And you say that's a really bad attitude. Well, you know what? Sarah was the same way. And she's mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. So I can get away with that. And you know what? If you all were honest, and if y'all weren't just being politically correct, you've probably all told your kids, don't marry certain types of people. I think we've all probably done that before. And say whatever you want, but we all do it. Let's just admit it, okay? We've all been being accused of being racist all the time. Let's just admit it. We all got some prejudices in us. And it's just, it's, it's just part of humanity. It's been going on since back then. But understand, too, that, you know, this, I believe this was justified because these were Canaanite women. They were wicked. It's like, I don't want them for daughter-in-laws. So, again, this is just evidence that these are, these were not good people that we're seeing here in Genesis 23. You need to keep this in mind because there's a lesson that we're going to get from this that I think is really going to help us. So keep these things in mind because, no, again, nothing in the book of Genesis is here by accident. Okay, God's not just laying out these facts just because they were facts. He's telling us these stories for a reason. These things all play a part and they all come together. And so the, these sons of Heth, they were not good people. 
And so in verse 4, Abraham, speaking to the sons of Heth, says, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Okay. Now, this is something that's hard for us to relate to because in our culture today, we are not forward-thinking people. We do not think generations ahead. We don't think one week ahead. That's just kind of how our culture is. And understand, though, back then, people thought way ahead and they wanted to be remembered. They believed in a resurrection. Even some of the people who were unsaved believed in a resurrection like even the Egyptians. You know why they built a lot of those pyramids and things? As resting places for their bodies that they wanted to last for thousands of years because they believed they were going to resurrect one of these days. And they wanted to be remembered. They, they wanted the generations to come to remember their names and remember who they were. They, they knew they were going to be historical people and great people, so they would do all these things. We don't do that today. We don't, we don't even worry about leaving an inheritance for our children. You know why? Because we don't have anything today. You know, uh, you know, private property went out the window years ago in this country, and we're not able to just pass on possession. The government's got a piece of everything we've got, and they really own it in reality. And that's why, too, I hate to just get sidetracked, but that's why people today, they just don't care about anything, why they don't take care of their houses, why they don't take care of their property, why we've got people today that are just going through and just destroying their own cities that they live in. Why? Because it's not theirs. They don't have anything. They have no ownership. And folks, when we have no ownership, we don't care about anything. But back then, they would take ownership, and it was something that would stay in their family for generations. And they wanted the future generations to remember them. And so Abraham, he needed a place. He needed to buy a place, because we're seeing throughout Genesis, he keeps moving around. He's sojourning. He's kind of a wanderer. He's a stranger in this land, a land that God has promised to him but a land that he has not possessed yet. But Abraham knows he's a great man. Abraham knows he's going to be a historical figure. And he wants a bearing place, not just for his wife, but what is eventually going to be a bearing place for himself. And even today, when it comes to what we would call the greats, the famous people, you know, they usually get special bearing places, don't they? Presidents, for example. You know, they have places and they bury them places that they know people are going to visit and because these people are going to be remembered you know, from the rest of history. If you're a president, you're going to be remembered in American history. And so these people all have specially marked places. And they were the same way back then. You know, and so we don't often think that way, but they did back then. And Abraham was a great man during that time. He was rich. He was over many people. You know, he, he was a great man that was feared by the Canaanites. And we're going to see that through here. So he needs this place for a burying place because this was important to them. We don't really care about that stuff today, but they did back then. So him being a believer in the resurrection wanted a permanent place to lay his wife. And we know he believed in the resurrection. He even believed God could raise Isaac from the dead. And so this would, this, and this is going to be the burying place where the three main patriarchs would be buried. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 29. Jacob speaking here at the end of his life, and it says, And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, 
in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. So this is a very, I mean, and I guess today, I, we didn't get to see it when I went to Israel. You know, they still supposedly know where this is today. And, uh, you know, it's a very important place because these were the three main patriarchs that God uh, started the nation of Israel with. So this is a very, you know, significant thing that's going on in their history, too, because Abraham's actually purchasing this. He's buying this. This is now becoming his spot that he has here. And it's just kind of showing, I guess, his rightful claim to it. So now what we're about to see, though, is a conversation between, you know, the sons of Heth and Abraham. Okay, now, what are we supposed to get out of this? Why is this conversation recorded? Why is it a big deal that, you know, the negotiation between Abraham and the sons of Heth when it came to a burying place for Sarah? Because it seems like a lot has been devoted to this. And so, We've been showing throughout the book of Genesis, everything mentioned is there for a very practical reason. And so it's taking this whole chapter to so, so why is it doing this? Well, let's go ahead and read it, and let's see what we can learn from this. So in verse 5, after Abraham tells him, I need a place to bury my wife, it says in verse 5, And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres, bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from the his sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. So now this is a pretty good offer right here. This sounds like good people that loved Abraham. But do we really think, based on what we know about these people, that these were good people who loved Abraham? I don't believe that's the case at all, but yet they're saying, hey, anything you want, you can have it, Abraham. Hey, now, I don't believe... That that's the case. I don't, I don't believe they did this out of the goodness of their heart. I believe they did it out of fear. This was done out of fear because remember Abimelech in Genesis chapter 20 and verse 16. It says, And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. This was after he had taken Sarah, Abraham's wife, and God cursed his house. God was going to kill Abimelech. And after Abimelech realized what he had done, that he had taken the wife of God's man, he got scared and he didn't just give, you know, give the wife back. He gave her back with a thousand pieces of silver. Now, Abraham was the one that lied. Abraham was the one that did him wrong. But this guy gives her back with a thousand pieces of silver. Why? Because he got scared. God had closed up all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So Abimelech did this out of fear. He's like, I'm not just going to give her back. I'm giving, I, I want to bless him. I'm going to give him something good. I'm giving him a thousand pieces of silver. Remember Abraham, how he defeated the four kings in Genesis chapter 14? The people that had taken a lot and them captive, the ones that had defeated Sodom. Abraham went in there and he defeated all of those kings. Yes, everybody knew about this stuff back then. People understood these things. Remember Pharaoh 
in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 17, did the same thing there. He said, tell everyone you're my wife. It says in verse 17, and the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham, Abram's wife. And notice that was in Genesis 12, 17, right after Genesis 12, 3, where God said, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So understand, the reason these guys are acting this way with Abraham is they were scared of Abraham. Why? Because God's blessing was on him. And the curse of God was on anyone who messed with Abraham and word had gotten out. People knew, do not mess with this guy. Yeah, this is our land. We've had this land for years. But this man, Abraham, he defeated the four kings at one time. This is the one God plagued Pharaoh's house just because he took his wife. God almost killed Abimelech because he took his wife. So when Abraham comes along with no threat or anything, just says, hey, I need to buy a place. So, hey, whatever you want, you can have it. That's what they're saying right here. This was not out of the goodness of their heart. This was out of fear. So look at verse 7. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. Is Abraham being aggressive right here? Abraham's not being aggressive at all. He's being very respectful. He's being very nice. Okay, he's bowing himself to him, speaking to him. And he communed with him, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me to Ephraim the son of Zohar. Okay, okay if, if you all are okay with this, he could not be any less intimidating and how he's acting and what he's saying. And it says uh, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of his field. For as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for possession of a bearing place amongst you. So this, this is a very reasonable request. Hey, if y'all are offering me whatever I want, just will you allow me, if it's okay, to purchase the cave of Machpelah, for whatever it's worth, I'll pay it, is what he's saying. This is not intimidating, is it? Okay. But it says in verse 10, And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heth, even of all that went in at the gate of his city, saying, Nay, my Lord, hear me. The field give I thee, and the cave that is therein. I give it thee in the presence of the sons of my people, give I it thee, Bury thy dead. What's he doing? He's doing the same thing that Abimelech did. Again, this is not a love. They're scared of Abraham. Okay? Abimelech, we can tell when we go back and look at that chapter, I think he was aggravated with Abraham. But he still gave him a thousand pieces of silver. Why? Because he was scared. That was why he did it. Not because of Abraham, not because of Abraham but because of Abraham's God. He was scared of him. And so this guy here... You know, he's got Abraham asking him for something. And he, you know, he's so scared of Abraham, he doesn't want the money. He's like, hey, just just take it. I, let me give it to you. Let me be good to you. Let me get on your good side. Because I'm scared of you. That's what he's doing right here. And it says, And Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land. And he spake unto Ephron in the audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me. I will give thee money for the field. Take it of me. 
and I will bury my dead there. He's like, hey, if you're willing to give it to me, then you should be willing to let me buy it. Okay, let me buy this from you. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephron. And Abraham, Abraham weighed to Ephron the silver, which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. And the field of Ephron, which is in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, that were in all the borders round about, were made sure. Unto Abraham for a possession in the presence of the children of Heth, before all that went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein was made sure unto Abraham, for possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. So the reason that we're seeing this exchange is God is showing how the Canaanites feared Abraham because the blessing of God was on him. That's what we're seeing right here is God is showing that the people of the land feared him. Why? The blessing of God was upon him. And so you've got a wicked group of people. you got a group of people so bad that women are saying, I'd rather be dead than have their girls for daughter-in-laws. And that's how bad they are. These people uh, that are Canaanites, these are, these are not good people, but yet we see them just willing to just do whatever for Abraham. And here's what we need to learn from this, because this is an important lesson that I don't think a lot of people understand, okay? Because people often scratch their head and they wonder, you know, how anything good comes out of the United States, how anything good has ever come from the United States. It's like they, you know, because they just don't understand things, they don't understand politics, they don't understand laws, you know, all they do is they kind of just look at the person, declare the person bad, and therefore everything they do must be bad. Okay, now, first off, that's just false. And you obviously just don't understand how things work. You know, and I've scratched my head thinking, you know, how did we get such a great country? How did they, how did the founding fathers come up with such a great constitution? What happened? Okay. You look at some of our presidents in history that have done, that did some good things. And then you learn about them and it's like they weren't very good people. How did they do anything good? And I'll tell you why. It was because God was blessing his people during that time and wicked people feared God's people. And let me show you how God did continued this very same thing with Israel. Because I'm afraid what we're seeing today is Christians, because again, we're not forward-thinking people. You know, we just, we've had this attitude, you know, for a long time now that the rapture is just about to come and so just, you know, let everything burn down. Okay? And you know what? Those type of people ought to be loving our country right now because it's burning down. But, you know, truth is, we don't know how much longer we've got on this earth. You know, we should still be thinking about the next generation. We should still be thinking about the kind of world we're going to leave for our children. We should do whatever we can to try to be a force for good and an influence for good. And the best way we can do that is by us being right with God, by us being in the will of God. If we are following the will of God, if we are right with God, even as a church, you know what? The enemies will fear us. Our local leaders will fear us. They will give us what we want 
Even if they're bad people, we could have a wicked Democrat mayor. And if the blessing of God is on us, if we are doing right, God will put fear in their hearts of us to where they will do good stuff. And we've and I've already shown other services, too, how guys like Ahasuerus and a lot of the, um, you know, Art Desertsies and these guys did good things. Why? Because God moved them to do that. And often it was because the people were right with God during that time and doing what God wanted. And that's why we've just got to understand we can't just have this attitude, hey, let's just give up and just let the wicked take over in the world. No, we need to be a force for good. And if, and we do that by being right, by being obedient to the things of God. And when we do, our enemies will fear us. And let's see some examples of that. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 2. Because this, we, so we've already seen this with Abraham. Okay? Everyone was scared of Abraham. Why? Because God was with him. And God put fear into the hearts of those people. Abimelech wasn't scared until God came to him in a dream and said, you're dead. Then all of a sudden he got scared. Okay? Everything was fine with Pharaoh until God brought the plagues. And then Pharaoh got scared. And we see the same thing with the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 2.24. Look at what it says here. Rise ye up, take your journey, and pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given into thy hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. This day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. Y'all see what God said he's going to do there? He's like, I'm going to make them scared of you. I'm going to put fear in their hearts. Fear of people who didn't have a land, who probably didn't have a whole lot for weapons, people who had been wandering in the wilderness for years. God said, I'm going to make them scared of you. I'm going to put dread in their hearts. In Deuteronomy 11.23, says, Then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before you, and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours from the wilderness and Lebanon from the river, the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea shall your coast be. There shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon, as he has said unto you, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing, if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse, if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way, which I command you this day, to go after other gods which ye have not known. So God said, I'm going to make them scared of you. And I'm giving you an opportunity here. I'm setting before you a blessing and a curse. If you obey me, you're going to get blessed. If you disobey me, you're going to get cursed. And you know, if we will do what God wants us to do, if we as a church are following the will of God, we are submitting to the will of God, not caring what the world says, not caring what the world thinks, you know what? If they get in our way, God will scare them. God will move their hearts to leave us alone and maybe even give us what we want in certain cases. And that's what God was going to do here. And then now we see the fulfillment of it in Joshua chapter 2. I love this passage because we know the walls of Jericho were massive walls that Israel is not capable of taking down. It is phys- it's going to be physically impossible 
for Israel to win against Jericho. And that's what they knew 40 years ago when they saw it. And they all freaked out. But, you know, thankfully they learned their lesson this time. They cross over Jordan. They go there with faith. And they send those spies in the land. And in Joshua 2, 9, Rahab the harlot speaking here. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Why? There there was nothing about them that should have been intimidating. But yet, they were terrified of them. Why? God put that in them. It says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what he did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man, because of you, for the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and, and that ye will save alive my father and mother, my brethren and my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Notice how Rahab the harlot, she's like, we're terrified of you. Our hearts... There was no more strength in us. You know how the people of Jericho acted when they came after them? They acted the same way the previous generation acted when they saw them. And they're like, man, the Anakims are there. They've got giants. We're, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. They're all crying out and crying. I mean, they're all bawling in Israel when they didn't have any faith. But now you've got a new generation that comes along and that has some faith. And when they show up, the people of Jericho... Their hearts are melting. What's going on? God put that in them. God scared them. Listen, news traveled back then too. I understand they didn't have cable and the internet and things like that. But everybody knew what happened in Egypt. And so all of a sudden, they find out the children of Israel are in their land and they were terrified. They were scared to death. God put that in the hearts of the enemies. There was nothing physically about them. God put it there. Why? Because they were finally doing the right thing. And you know what eventually happened with Israel? God eventually removed that and changed the hearts of people and actually made Israel a reproach to the heathen. Look what it says in Ezekiel chapter 5. So we're way into the future now. We're way into the future. And you all know Israel's history. They didn't follow the Lord. They didn't keep his covenant. They were wicked, just like all the heathen nations that were around him. They served other gods. And so in Ezekiel chapter 5, in verse 12, God's prophesying against them. It says, A third part of these shall die with the pestilence and with famine, and they shall be consumed in the midst of thee. And a third part shall fall by the sword round about thee. And I will scatter the third part into all the winds, and I will draw out a sword after them. Thus shall mine anger be accomplished, and I will cause my fury to rest upon them. And I will be comforted, and they shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it in my zeal when I have accomplished my fury in them. Moreover, I will make thee waste and a reproach among the nations that are round about thee in the sight of all that pass by. So it shall be a reproach and a taunt and instruction and an astonishment unto the nations that are round about thee when I shall execute judgments in thee in anger and in fury and in furious rebukes. I, the Lord, have spoken it. 
So notice how much things have changed now. Because Israel did not follow after God, God made them a reproach. All of a sudden, they didn't mean anything to people anymore. Nebuchadnezzar was not afraid to come through and destroy them and take them captive. And that's exactly what he did. And, and during all that time of their captivity, I mean, it was bad for them until God had decided that their punishment was fulfilled. And then God put it into the heart of Cyrus to allow them to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. God put it in his heart. We preached about that when we went through uh, several chapters of the book of Ezra showing how God did that. God put that in their heart. And so notice Israel's standing in the world, Israel's influence in the world, it was all subject to how their relationship was with God and whether or not they were right with God. When they were right with God, God's blessing was on them and even their enemies feared them. Even wicked people were good to them out of fear of them. But when they were not right with God, they were, they were a reproach. People, and the thing is, I believe the wicked always hated God's people. Okay? Understand when Jericho here is scared to death, uh, you know, they don't love Israel. They're just scared of Israel. I don't believe that the sons of Heth loved Abraham. I think they were just scared of Abraham. So they were good to them. And you want to know why so many good things happen in this country, even under wicked leaders? Because God's people were right with them. God's people were doing what they wanted. And God would put it in their hearts to do the right thing. And they would do it maybe out of fear. You know, you wonder, you know, people, they, all, they just want to second guess everything all the time because somebody's bad. They're incapable of looking at the situation and figuring out what's right and wrong. When President Trump declared churches essential, that was a good thing. Oh, yeah, but he's, you know, he's a bad guy. Even bad people want self-preservation. And you know, I believe God put a fear in him to do this. I believe God put it in his heart to do this type of thing. And we see, you know, some good stuff happen. I believe God's people were calling out to him. A lot of people were praying. A lot of people were praying. Folks, when that shut down, when they started talking about shutting down churches, and I was thinking about doing it, man, it just, it, it just tore my guts out. And I remember when we were thinking we were not going to be have, able to have service on Easter. I remember I was, I was sitting here and I was thinking about it. I, I, just, I couldn't imagine not having church on Easter. I just couldn't imagine it. And I, and I was thinking about doing it, and I, I decided, you know, if we can't have church on Easter, I am proclaiming a fast on Sundays until we're able to go back to church. That's what I plan on doing. I wasn't going to make all of you do it, but I was going to recommend it, and I was going to do it. It's like, you know what? I'm not eating on Sundays if I can't go to church. But, you know, I hated the idea of proclaiming a fast on Easter when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking, pro proclaiming a fast on the greatest celebration of victory that we have as Christians, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I just couldn't bring my, I couldn't bring myself to proclaim a fast and mourning on Easter. It's like, man, we're Christians. We always have the victory in Christ. Not doing that on Easter. We're going forward victoriously. And, and the thing is, and, I, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not down on people that did things different, but I'm saying 
that there is no, I know it was a terrible, it was a very difficult thing for people to do. They didn't believe in it. They didn't think it was the right thing to do. But yet they, they did it, just not being sure. And, the, and I'm telling you, churches were praying. And we see that churches, even in Illinois, were being persecuted by the government, the government, were being harassed by police. They went to Pastor Courtney Lewis's church, you know, the week before Sunday, and they're beating on his door during the service. And we as Christians, we know better than to go get violent back, don't we? We don't beat up cops, do we? We don't have violent protests. We don't get vengeance. We give vengeance to God. But you know what? God's people finally were coming together and saying, enough's enough. We're doing the right thing. We're going back to church. We are going back to church. That's exactly what they did. And then you know what happens? I mean, literally, right after that, we see the biggest assault on police that we've ever seen in this country. And folks, I'm not happy about that. I'm not celebrating. I hate what's happening to cops right now. It is a horrible thing. But folks, judgment's a horrible thing. Judgment's a bad thing. You don't mess with God's people. We saw what happened when Pharaoh messed with Abraham's wife, even though he didn't know he was doing it. We saw what happened when, when Abimelech messed with Abraham's wife, even though he didn't know what was doing it. We saw what happened to these people. God came down on them. And you know what? If our leaders have a brain in their head, you know what they better do? They better get real scared of us right now. Because I'm telling you right now, a lot of this junk that's going on in our country, a lot of this suffering and all these bad things that are happening, I believe is God's judgment on our government for what they did to us. And not just us as churches, what they did to God-fearing Christian businessmen. That was a wicked thing that they did, shutting down their business, is a wicked thing that they are doing mentally with people, what they're allowing going on with the news media, with the fear-mongering that's going on, making everybody do all these dumb psychological things with their masks and all that. They are, I mean, what they are doing, God is not pleased with that. They are messing with God's people. God's people finally started calling out to them. At first, everybody's just going along. Eh, you know, whatever, this is this what it is. But finally, people said, enough's enough. They start praying, and now we're seeing all this stuff happen to them. They better figure out, they better not mess with God's people. And I personally think that could happen, but you know what? There's an alternative. Something else might happen instead. Because, you know, while God would often do this with Abraham and with Israel, God would bring judgment on those who mess with his people, while often they would get right, and they would change their hearts and start leaving them alone. And that's what I hope is going to happen. I hope Congress ends up passing. I hope Congress gets so freaked out by this that they pass some kind of law saying we will never tell churches what to do again. I hope they pass a law making it illegal to ever shut down businesses the way they did again. Right. Folks, what, what is go- we should, I, I am so ashamed of what has gone on in this country in the past few months. I am so ashamed at what has gone on in our state. I'm ashamed of it. I'm embarrassed by it. It was wicked. And you know, I think as God's people, we need to keep calling out to God. And I personally believe one of two things are going to happen. Either these people are going to learn their lesson. And I don't think the judgment's over. I don't know what's going to come next. I can't even imagine what's going to come next if they don't get right. God's going to keep sending the plagues. He's going to keep sending the judgment on them. And you know, we've been very protected 
as God's people during this whole thing, haven't we? You know, our church is still doing fine through all this. We're still being blessed. You know, God's people, we're doing fine. You know, psychologically, it's been kind of taxing. Okay? Yeah. You know, we're all tired of the stupidity that we're dealing with, but at the end of the day, you know, we haven't been hurt. You know, we haven't, you know, we haven't had anything really bad. None of us have gone to jail or anything like that. We've been very protected for the most part. But I, I believe they're either going to get this right and they're, and they're going to get scared of us. And I mean, and pass some great over-the-top laws in our favor. You know, I hope they do like they did. Uh, I forgot it already. I think it was Artaxerxes, uh, once he made that new law, basically saying, hey, anybody that tries stopping Israel on this, they're going to die. You know, pass a law saying any cop that ever steps foot on church property without their permission, you know, he's losing his badge. You know, any governor that ever tries to mess with the church, they're getting the guillotine. You know, I mean, what, something like, you know, whatever. All right. I hope that, you know, that's what they would often do then. They would give these people more than what they asked for. Okay. I'm not asking for Pritzker's head. I'd love to see a billionaire go to prison. You know, I would rather him go to prison, you know, than probably get the death, death penalty, I guess. I just want to see a billionaire go to prison. Does that ever happen? All right. Yeah, Epstein. Yeah. He'll probably get Epstein if he goes to prison. But anyway, you know, that's what I want. But, you know, it, it might not happen. These good things we're talking about, while they very well could happen if we are right with God and if we continue being a force for good and staying in the will of God, there's something else that could happen, too. They could double down, even after all these plagues. And continue coming after us. And here, but here's why that would happen. God often, like he did with Pharaoh, hardens their heart. Why? So he can bring them to destruction. And God may very well do that. Folks, if our country does not let up on us, God will destroy them. And that might be what he wants, them, wants to happen. So understand, though, if they keep coming after us, you know what? We're going to keep doing the right thing. We're going to keep doing what God wants, and all that's going to do is just going to heap up judgment. Folks, I thought about all kinds of things we could do to the government when they were messing with us, and none of them compare to what's happening to them right now. I never thought of I just saw a video of a cop getting smoked by a car, sent him flying. I don't want to hit a cop. I never wanted to do that. You know, I, I I didn't I, I don't want to get I never wanted to get violent, I never wanted to kill these people. You know, but we've seen a police station get burnt down. I'm gonna say I never thought about that, you know, but you know, police I mean police cars get destroyed. I mean, look at all this stuff that's happening to them right now. Right after they were messing with God's people, while while they were in the midst of messing with God's people, harassing churches, look at what look at what happened. And you know what? They are either going to get it right and they're going to start treating us really good out of fear of us or they're going to keep messing with us only because God's hardening their hearts because he's done with them and wants to destroy them. And that very well could be what's coming. But at the same time, if they start doing good, it's, it is possible. A lot of people are just giving up. They're like, Congress is all reprobates. They're all reprobates. Nothing good's going to come out of Washington, D.C., there will, if God puts fear in their hearts, if God puts the dread of us in their hearts, 
You better believe there'll be some good things coming out of Washington, D.C. There will be some good things coming out of Springfield. There will be good things coming from Pritzker if God puts fear into his heart. And that's what I'm, hope, I'm hoping and praying is going to happen. But if not, they're going down and they're going to be destroyed. But and, 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 if, and so just understand, okay? Don't act like just some crazy new eye of beer. If good things start coming from our government right now, don't start declaring them bad because they're all reprobates. Okay? That's not the case. Okay? Wicked people often do good things. Why? Because God puts it in their heart. God puts fear in their hearts. And, and folks, we know enough about Pritzker. He will never do anything good out of the goodness of his heart. But he might out of self-preservation. He might out of a fear that God puts in his heart just like he did with the kings back then. And so when that happens, you know, we don't want to be the people declaring good things bad. We don't want to be the people declaring things like the Constitution evil and the Bill of Rights bad and freedom of religion bad and the Second Amendment bad. Okay, That's just ignorance speaking right there. Good things happened throughout history because God, God's people were bringing fear to wicked people. And folk, I kind of like the idea... Of us scaring these people. I kind of like that idea. So how are we going to scare them? Are we going to plan protests like these crazy rioters and looters? Nope. We're going to obey God rather than men. We're going to keep on winning souls. We're going to keep on being a voice for good and for righteousness. We're going to keep on doing the will of God and being about our Father's business. And if we'll do these things, the blessing of God will be upon us. And you know what? Our cops out here will be scared of us. They're not going to want to mess with us. Our mayor will be scared of us. Our local leaders will be afraid to mess with our church. And you say, but you know what? They might not. They might. If, listen, if they come after us, it's because God didn't put that fear in their hearts because he's planning on taking them down. He's planning on destroying them. So there's always been wicked men in leadership, but even the most wicked person has that desire for self-preservation until God removes it from them, just like he did with Pharaoh, because it's God's will to destroy them. And so our country, it's been great in the past because of God's people. Not because of the leaders. Not because of them. Because of God's people. Not because of politicians. You know, Now the statues that are in Washington, D.C., they're not of Christians, are they? You, know, you don't see the face of Christians on Mount Rushmore, do you? You see the face of presidents. You know, They don't have a Christian monument. they got the Washington monument. Monument in D.C. They got the Jefferson Memorial. They've got the Lincoln Memorial. They've got all these things. You know, and I mean, I mean Washington, D.C. is one of the most idolatrous places you'll ever see. I mean, you go through Washington, D.C. and just, you know, paganism and Illuminati and just all these, you know, it's just, it, the signs are everywhere. You know? And, you know, it's easy to look at that and just say, everything that has ever happened is evil from these people. No, not necessarily. Sometimes good things happen, but we just need to understand the source of that. Okay? We are the real difference makers. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are what determines the direction that our nation is going to go. And it's high time that we remember that and just continue going forward and not just give up and go into a fetal position and just let everything burn around us and just not do anything for good. That's not what God wants. We've got to do our best to keep ourselves in the will of God 
and in God's favor. And when we do, the world will have a reverential fear for us. They will fear us. Politicians will be terrified. If I vote for this, the Christians are going to get mad at me. Politicians historically, wicked ones, have been scared of the Christians. But you know, I'm not seeing a lot of fear of Christians today. I'm not, there's, there's not a lot of, you know why? Because Christians today stink. But Christianity today is a mess. And that's why they're just laughing at us for the most part. If we get right, we're going to be fine. You know, and I believe if they're going to send cops to break up church services, you know what? God's going to send the scum of the earth to attack the police. That's, that's what I think is going to happen. And I do, I, I believe that God is going to continue blessing our area because they never mess with us. And unless, and I don't know how much they harass businesses. Okay, from what I understand, you know they've been pretty good in a lot of areas. A lot of stuff has been shut down. But here's here's the thing: these businesses have been shut down. Are any of these people's Christians calling out to the Lord? You know, if it's just lost people, I mean, it's still not good. We don't want to be do bad things to lost people. But it's not going to bring a, as much of a curse if they're not saved, righteous people calling on the Lord. You know, but again, you don't mess with God's people. And if they're saved people in this area that have businesses calling out to God, they have every right to do that. And, I, and that scares me a little bit. That scares me that's happening. But I haven't seen it happening. And I believe God's going to bless our community because of that. So far, we haven't had any curfews. So far, we haven't had any riots. We haven't had any of that, this junk going on. And I, I think that could have a lot to do with it. And that's why we need to continue being a voice for good. You say, Pastor Tommy, we will never scare the police in this area. We don't physically have the ability to, just like Israel didn't have the physical ability to scare Jericho. But if we're right with God, God can make them afraid of us. And I believe that's what he's done in the past, and I believe he will do it again. So this is why... The wicked often do right. They're doing it for the wrong reason, but God uses it for good for his people. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word and the uh, wonderful lessons that we learned from it. Dear God, I just pray you'll help us to uh, learn from this and help us, Lord, not to seek to uh, gain political victory, Lord, through the carnal methods that the world uses. But, Lord, I pray you'll help us to seek victory by us serving you, by us uh, going forward with your business and your work, and I pray that you will protect us. I pray that you will send the fear of us to our leaders so they will not mess with us, dear God, and they will allow us to live quiet, peaceable lives, which is all we want, Lord. We just want to be able to do your will. We want to be able to serve you and uh, spread the gospel uh, like you've commanded us to do without people threatening us and trying to stop us. And I thank you, Lord, for how you've blessed us through these difficult times we've been in. I thank you for how our community uh, has responded. And, Lord, I'm asking you to bless uh, Whiteside County, the Sterling Rock Falls area, uh, Lord, because they have been good to us. They've not hurt us. And, Lord, I'm asking you to show uh, goodness to them and show favor to them. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.